Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 14. 14th chapter of John's Gospel as we continue. Actually looking at part of the text we looked at last week, but really didn't get a chance to get to. If you recall, in the 14th chapter, what Jesus is doing here primarily is comforting his disciples. He has told them that he's about to go away, and where he's going, they cannot come right now. That there will come a time when where he's going, they will come and be with him. But for now, uh, Jesus makes it very clear that they must stay here. They cannot follow. And that troubles them. They have given three and a half years of their life to following him and listening to him and watching him and seeing all that he's done and, and literally just enjoying being in his presence growing in their understanding of the kingdom of God and growing in their understanding of, of who this man is, Messiah, King, Lord, Savior. Quite, a, quite an experience to be able to be in the very presence of the Son of God on the earth. I mean, be in His presence. And now He says, I'm leaving. I'm going away, and they are rightly troubled, as we talked about. And jo Thomas asked him, where are you? We don't know where you're going. And he said, how can we know the way? And he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. Be there. Be in me, and you know where I'm going. And you will follow. And, and then, of course, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. And Jesus says, have I been with you so long, Philip? Have I been so long with you, and yet you've not come to know me? One of the great revelations of Jesus' life, one of the great revelations of his ministry in these last days of his life is that his purpose is to reveal the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father and I are one. Don't you understand, Philip, that if you gaze upon me and know me and understand who I am, you know the Father because we are one. And the whole concept of the Trinitarian nature that we even sang about this morning begins to take clear shape here and hopefully be clearly understood by these disciples and will be understood by the disciples in the days to come and hopefully understood by you and me in these days because we worship a mighty God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is not three gods but one God, but three persons in the Godhead. Heady stuff. and We'll talk about that more as we get on into this chapter a little later on. But today I want us to look specifically at verses 12 through 15 as we come to this Lord's table. These are the words that Jesus speaks about prayer and about deeds or works that those who are there with him and those who follow after them will do. And, and I'm afraid that sometimes we look at these and we, we miss the intimacy with, Je with which Jesus is saying them. We miss the purpose that he's saying this, and, and, and we kind of pull these verses out of context. Many groups do, pull them out of context and say, see, God is at our disposal. God is at our command. Jesus is there just to do whatever we think best. And that's not what Jesus is saying at all. Hear the words of our Lord, John 14, 12 through 15, just four short verses. Truly, truly, I say to you, he, put, he who believes in me, the works that I do, 
he will do also, and greater works than these will he do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You know, when, when Jesus says, greater works we'll do, the, the works that I've done, greater works will you do, many times we want to we look at that and say, okay, here, what are we talking? We're talking about? We're talking about turning water into wine. We're talking about walking on water. We're talking about healing the blind. We're talking about raising the dead. And, and we just focus in on those. But I don't think that's at all what Jesus is saying here. I think Jesus is talking about the impact of the church and the impact of the kingdom that is going to take place once he is gone. You see, these guys are struggling. They're saying, Lord, you're leaving us. You've been with us. You've encouraged us. You've taught us. And you've been right here by our side, and we've been right by your side, and now you're leaving. What's going to happen? Is this whole thing going to just crumble before our very eyes? And Jesus says, no, it's not going to crumble. You've got to understand the intimacy that you know with me now will be heightened once I am gone. The intimacy that we experience now in this one-to-one, day-by-day expression of, of worship and expression of ministry together, that's going to be even heightened once I'm gone because my physical presence is not going to be, uh, my physical absence is not going to be limited because I'm not physically present. I will be with you. And these things that I've done, you're going to see greater things than that. You know, if you look back into the, the episodes that we looked at around the synagogue, when the Jews were challenging Jesus and it said that some people saw and they saw his works and they heard his words and they believed in him, those numbers were really rather small in comparison to what is going to take place just 40 days after he raises from the dead. You, you know, it, there's, a, there, there's, a, there's a sense in which those crowds those those 12 disciples that went down to 11 and all those others that followed the women and the others who who were not a part of the original uh band of apostles but they followed and they believed that was a very small number much smaller even than that first sermon that peter preached at pentecost when three thousand people came to know the lord and were baptized that day into the church baptized that day into christ by his power and by his grace. And those 3,000 scattered out into the world. They'd come to Jerusalem for Pentecost and the celebration, that Jewish celebration of Pentecost. But they heard the gospel. And when they heard the gospel, they scattered back to their homes. And many of them, new believers, just beginning to grow in Christ, began to tell others, this is what happened to me when I was down in Jerusalem at the Feast of Pentecost. God did a work in my life, showed me who Jesus was, and I believed in him. And they began to share. And then they began to see people come to know Christ. And that 3,000 mushroomed into thousands more, and, and those became even more. And as the church began to grow, and then Paul is called, and, or Saul is called and becomes Paul, and then he goes out and starts planting churches in many of these same areas that people who were at Pentecost went out to. And those churches begin to grow, and those churches begin to send out missionaries to other parts of the earth. And, and before long, what you know is that the churches covered the entire known world, and as the world's knowledge began to expand into other parts of the globe, the gospel went also because of what took place at this particular time. And this particular promise that Jesus made, to these 11 who were fearful 
and worried and scared, but who came to realize that Jesus was saying, my departure is going to bring about a greater work of gospel witness throughout the world. Indeed, that's what happened. To the point you have Paul writing to young Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2. And he says to Timothy, he says, now here's the key to multiplication. Here's the key to the growth of the gospel. Everything that I have taught you, you find faithful men whom you can teach, who will teach others, and they will find faithful men who can teach others, and so on and so forth. And the gospel will grow and spread because we take time to share the gospel with those who do not know Christ. They come to faith in Christ, and they are discipled to a point that they can share with others. I had a, somebody, not from Grace, thank goodness, but somebody a couple of weeks ago that I was talking with, said he was a believer, said he knew the Lord, but said, you know, I, I really don't buy into this thing that all Christians are supposed to be doing evangelism. I really don't buy into this thing that all Christians Christians are supposed to be sharing their faith. I think that's just for, and he, he was bold in this. I've never heard him be quite this bold. I think that's just for you preachers. Then we're in a world of hurt. It's just up to us preachers. No. Jesus said he was beginning to leave and, and ascend back into heaven after he gave the great commission to the, to the disciples at the end of Matthew. In Acts chapter 1, he says, now listen, when, when, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, when you are in Christ and the Spirit infills you because you are in me, then you will be my witnesses both to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. I got news for you. Where Jesus was thinking about what Jesus was thinking about on that particular moment is the uttermost parts of the world are pretty much Somerset, Kentucky and places like this. Furthest way from literal Jerusalem you could ever imagine. But that's where the gospel is going to go when we are faithful to the call when we are in Christ. So I said, if you're in me and the church is being obedient to what I've called you to be, you're going to see greater things, greater works, greater stuff than even I saw in my earthly ministry right here among you. And then he gets into even more intimacy. He starts talking about prayer. He says, listen, whatever you ask in my name, now tie this back to the greater works he'll do because he goes to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. The ultimate purpose here, the ultimate, the ultimate aim of prayer is glorifying the Father in Christ. Glorifying the Father and the Son. Lifting them up. That's what prayer is really to be all about. He says, listen, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That's fairly emphatic. But it's not just a blank check. It's not just a, well, you just think up the wildest thing that you want, and you ask for it, and Jesus is obligated to give it to you. I told you before, I've been praying for a Porsche for 40 years. Still hadn't got one. Because it doesn't fit into the caveat of this statement. It doesn't fit into the, the caveat that Jesus adds here. He says, whatever you ask in my name. Now, a lot of people see that as just saying, well, when you come to prayer, when you, when you pray, 
then what you have to do is you have to just add on that phrase, and in Jesus' name we pray. And that covers that. That's not what he's talking about. A lot of people say, and we pray this in Jesus' name to close out a prayer, and it's nothing more than just sort of a sign-off, you know. I remember growing up in the South and, and before all these fancy radio, all we had was AM radio, and every night at about sundown, about 5 o'clock or 5.30, the radio stations around my area, because I was out in rural Alabama, uh, the radio stations would sign off. And they might sign off with any number of things, but they would always say, and until tomorrow, we're gone. They might play Dixie, they might play the national anthem, they might play any number of things, but they signed off. And we sometimes treat our prayers and our saying, and we pray this in Jesus' name, as just sort of our sign-off. Lord, I've been talking to you, and now I'm done. In Jesus' name, I'm out of here. That is not what Jesus is talking about. In the scripture, when the, the, the phrase in my name or in Jesus' name or in his name is used, it's very, very powerful. And it's very, very specific. It's not just talking about throwing out Jesus and just saying Jesus and, and saying that word over and over, but praying in his name is literally praying in light of his character, in light of his promises, and in light of everything that is in his will it literally is bringing it all together and saying lord i, I want to ask this in your name now i acknowledge that you know what's better than i do and obviously for 40 years he's known that it's better for me not to have a porch than to have one so it's just all been dealt with right there you know i i acknowledge that everything that i'm asking lord must be in conformity with your character with, with your purposes, with your promises, and, and with your will. It's like saying, Lord, I pray that we would see this happen if it be your will. And, and you pray that often, I hope. Because if you don't, you're praying more as trying to be God's counselor or his Lord rather than acknowledging that he is your Lord and he is your counselor, telling you what is best, telling you what is right telling you what the purpose is but he says but, but said if you pray in my name if you're so focused on me if you're so focused on my glory and the father's glory if your desire is not to get for yourself but your desire is to see the gospel go forth in, in somerset in pulaski county and literally around the world whether it be in the chonkai river valley of peru where we go or in columbus Ohio, where we're about to start a ministry up there, wherever it is that, that you go, your desire is not that people say, oh, look what a good job you're doing, but they're saying that may God be glorified. We see the Savior. We see the Lord in all of this. Boy, I love those songs we sang today. You know, some old ones, but I guess you could say some oldies, but goodies in some ways. Come thy fount of every blessing, you know. And, and, and then singing, oh, the Lord, our strength and song. But listen, we got down there to hallelujah, what a Savior. I was just about ready to be raptured. I mean, you get to that third verse, you know, guilty, vile, and helpless we. <laughs> it doesn't build up your self-esteem very much, but it's the truth. Guilty, vile, and helpless we. 
spotless lamb of God was he. And in these two verses, these two words are lines. Really the third line. Full atonement. Can it be? Hallelujah. What a Savior. I mean, full atonement. Not a little bit. It's, it's like Horatio Spafford in, in, uh, in It Is Well With My Soul. You know, he said, all my sins, not the, not the part, but, but the whole was nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. It is well, it is well with my soul. It's a full atonement, not a partial atonement. It's only partial. If only some of your sins have been forgiven, then, then, then you and I both are in a lot of trouble. Truth is, the scripture says it's a full atonement. It's in his name. It's in his character. It's in his promises. It's in his purposes. And it's in his will. And that's how we're to pray. That's how we're to lift our hearts and how we're to lift our voices as we come to these times of prayer. You know, I think back seven years. And next Sunday morning, we're going to talk more about this. But seven years ago, on October 22nd, we met for the first time. But on November the 17th, we covenanted together as a covenant family, a covenant body. And the thing that struck me the most seven years ago was, oh, oh, how we prayed. Oh, how we got on our faces before God and said, Lord, if it's in your will, if it's in your name, if it's for your glory, then, then, then do it. And guess what? He did it. But it wasn't so that we could be vilified. It wasn't so that we, we could be vindicated or vilified, but not so that we'd be vindicated. It wasn't so that we could say, oh, look what we've done. Look what's happening here. Look how great this is. Even when we moved into this facility a year and a half ago, it wasn't so, you know, it wasn't so, oh, Lord, I hope people will look at it and say, oh, look what they've done. We haven't done anything apart from absolute, total submission to him. Apart from praying in his name. Folks, that cannot stop. We cannot say we've arrived. We've got a, got a great church, got a great facility. This is not the church. You are. Got a great church, got a great facility, things are going well, reasonably, everybody's happy, filled with joy. But if we lose our focus on what Jesus is talking about here, if we lose our focus, we lose our intimacy. So that's what he's saying here, folks. He's saying, listen, I may not be present with you physically, but I want you to know I'm not that far away. I am now your advocate, sitting at the right hand of the Father. I am now the one that's interceding on your behalf, and you come to me. You don't have to go through a saint. You don't have to go through a, a priest. You don't have to go through a preacher. You don't have to go through anybody. You as a disciple of mine, as one who is in me, can pray in my name. You can come directly and specifically to me. What a glorious thought. It's all based on the fact of what we're about to symbolize 
and partake in in just a few moments. His death, his burial, his resurrection, and his call to come and follow me if you're burdened and heavy laden, if you're struggling, come to me and I will give you rest. We sang, lifted up was he to die. It is finished was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high, hallelujah. What a Savior. Good to great works. You're going to see great things happen with the gospel. Jesus says that I didn't even see. You're going to see multitudes and thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions come to trust me. If you abide in the intimacy, if you ask in my name, if you recognize that it's not your plans, your programs, your activities, but Jesus says if you recognize it's me. These words are spoken just a very short time after they had broken bread and observed the Passover together and, and Jesus had redefined the Passover to move from just an exodus out of Egypt by the children of Israel to an exodus out of sin by his people. Those who would come, those who would believe, who would know the blood and know the body and, and know the, the sacrifice, those who would be able to say, full atonement can it be? I, I cannot comprehend it. I don't deserve it. I'm vile, guilty, helpless. He stood there, he bore the shame and the scoffing, and in our place, he stood. Our sacrifice, our substitute, our atonement on that cross. When we think about that and we come to this table, it ought to be that we we come with humility, we come with brokenness, we come, as Paul said to the Corinthians, examining ourselves, and we come waiting upon him. We come remembering what he has done. In a moment when the elements are passed, I've asked Amy to sing a, a, my favorite Lord's Supper song. It's, it's an amazing thing to think about that we could even forget. Why did Jesus have to say, remember? It's shocking that we might not think about all that he's done and is yet doing. But as we come to this table, as the elements are passed and she sings that, I want you to think about the words and, and they'll be projected. You can, if you can understand, if you can, if you can follow it, just pray. If you can't, follow it on the screen. Because I, I want you to think about these words as these elements are being passed. He said, this is my body. It's given for you. As an atoning sacrifice, 
This is my blood that is shed on your behalf that you might be cleansed and have life eternal. As our deacons are coming who will serve this meal, pass this among us, would you bow your heads with me in prayer? God of all grace and all goodness and all power and all authority. Father, we come before you to bless you for the grace that you have given us. Teach us to see in these elements your loving purposes and the joy and strength of our soul as we partake of them. You have prepared for us this feast. And though we are unworthy even to sit down as a guest, we wholly rest on the merits of Jesus. And we hide ourselves beneath his righteousness. When we hear his tender invitation and we we see his wondrous grace, we cannot hesitate but come to you in love. Father, by your Spirit, enliven us and enliven our faith to rightly discern and spiritually to apprehend the work of the Savior. While we gaze upon these emblems of our Savior's death, as we gaze upon the bread and the fruit of the vine, those emblems of Jesus' death, May we ponder why he died. And and Father, let us hear him say, I gave my life to purchase yours, presented myself an offering to propitiate your sin, shed my blood to blot out your guilt, opened my side to make you clean, endured your curses to set you free. And bore your condemnation to satisfy divine justice. Father, may we rightly grasp the breadth and the length of this design. May we draw near, obey, extend a hand, take the bread, receive the cup, eat and drink. And testify before all men that we do it for ourselves gladly in faith, reverence and love. We have received our Lord to be our life, strength, nourishment, joy, and delight. In the supper, Lord, we remember his eternal love, his boundless grace, infinite compassion, his agony, his cross, his redemption, and received assurance of pardon, life, adoption, and glory. Lord, as the outward elements nourish our bodies, so may your indwelling spirit invigorate our souls until that day when we hunger and thirst no more and sit with Jesus in the presence of his heavenly 
realm. Oh, Father, as we take the bread and eat of it, as we take the cup and drink of it, may we examine ourselves and may we let your Holy Spirit show us sin that needs to be dealt with. Before we ever eat or drink. Father, may we remember your sacrifice until you come again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. that he, on that night with the disciples, he took the, uh, he took the bread and he said, this is my body. This is my body which is given for you. It's a sacrifice. It's for atonement. And he said, you're to take and eat it and do this in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the blood of the new covenant. It's poured out that you might know forgiveness of sin. It is given as a cleansing power, as a cleansing purpose in each life. As he passed it around, he blessed it. He blessed it, and he said, As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Father, even as we've already prayed, we ask you now, Lord, to bless these elements and remind us of your grace and of your goodness, of your sacrifice and atonement. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. shocking thing this that we should forget the Savior who gave up his life to turn from the cross indifferent and let our minds veer towards self-love and strife this table this right is habit and yet Christ's words pierce our shame like a knife while breaking the bread the Lord Jesus said do this in remembrance of me do this in remembrance of me Enamored with power, surrounded by praise, we're set out ecclesial plans. Efficiency hums, and we spend our days defending, promoting our stands. 
techniques multiply our structures amaze the gospel slips out of our hands while breaking the bread the lord jesus said do this in remembrance of me do this in remembrance of me
Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. While lifting the cup, the Savior spoke up, do this in remembrance of me. Reminded in Hebrews chapter 7, the former priests on the one hand existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He took that bread on that night and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Take and eat it and do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup. And he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. The old covenant was deficient. The writer of Hebrews and Jeremiah both say it didn't, it didn't carry with it weight of internalizing the truth. The new covenant does. He's written his laws upon our hearts and upon our minds. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. He said, this cup of the new covenant 
brings you into relationship with God through me. For those who believe, for all eternity. So take and drink it and do this in remembrance of me. You know, what we've seen here is just a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of his sacrifice. It's a picture of full atonement by his death, burial, and resurrection. You may be here this morning, and you don't know the truth of that. You don't know Christ. I invite you to Christ. Paul said, if you believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Have you trusted, have you confessed him as Lord publicly and before men? I invite you to Christ this morning if you haven't. On that night, they sang a hymn and went out. We're going to sing a hymn of commitment before we go out, a hymn of invitation. And I invite you to Christ this morning if you don't know him. Our instrumentalists are going to come. We're going to stand together, and we're going to sing this song together. As God leads in your life, you be obedient and you come.
Why should I gain from his sacrifice? I don't know. He's a gracious, loving God and Savior. And for that, we give him thanks today. Through, this, through the table and through us literally being a living sacrifice to be used as he should so see fit. Submit ourselves. Let us submit ourselves to him and to his purpose for his glory. We're glad you're here. Hope you'll come back tonight as we continue in our Habakkuk series. Tonight, Brother Scott, I believe, is preaching. Is that right? Scott's tonight. There he is. There he is. And uh, he'll be bringing the message in Habakkuk tonight. I hope you'll be here for that. And then our congregational meeting will be right after that. Hope you'll be here for that. It's always a, that's a, you know, I have guests sometimes who are here from out of town, and they're here on nights of congregational meeting, and when they leave, they say, I, I've never been in a congregational meeting like that. Usually they say, I've never been in a business meeting like that. And I say, well, that's because you don't go to family meetings. You go to business meetings. We're not here just to do business. We're here to be a family and see how God is blessing and how God is working. So hope you'll be back tonight for that as we uh, spend that time together this evening. Let's pray together. Father, it is always humbling, and it is always encouraging. Lord, it is always empowering to come to your table, to remember. Lord, it would be a shocking thing if we were to forget your sacrifice, your gift. Remind us regularly, Lord, that we might live for your glory in Somerset, Kentucky, and beyond. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.